Welcome to Turns Out It's Haunted, the podcast covering haunted locations and spooky stories. We're your hosts, Tracy and Laura. Hello, scary cats. It turns out it's haunted. Ep 2. Ep 2. And you have um, warned me or at least said, I don't want you to know anything about this and I want to capture your true reactions to some audio you're going to play for me. Yep. So I'm not, you know, concerned at all. Nope. And, like, just before we got to my office, which is where we record, Mm. I was so scared that I couldn't even get out of the car until you got here. Usually I get out of the car and I've got the the room done and everything's on, the heater's on and everything, (laughs) and then you ring the bell and I come and get you, but I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't get out of the car. Did you tell me why? Uh, Because I spooked myself because I was listening to someone talk about I was listening to a resident of this of this oh, town yeah, yeah. Right. recount, um, and I just uh, it was dark and and I spooked myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching so many paranormal investigations and on this on this and 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 some other things too in prep for some other episodes that we've got coming up. And yeah. I've just I've just spooked myself. You've just... had a bit of an OD on the. <laughs> I have. Spooky activity. Yeah, Tracy's been spooked. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's happened. Yep. You've brought it on yourself. I have, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So tell me, what yep. is it? Okay, Drum so roll. because of my obsession with true crime, one thing that I do know, and a lot of people do know as well, is that a lot of haunted locations, especially very well known haunted locations, are haunted. Because of particular crimes that were committed there so that the deaths of the people that haunt the space or the murderers or the insane or the the people who just died in places. Usually if there's a haunting and a well-known one or an infamous one, there's usually a, a story behind why. And so... A lot of the episodes that I'm going to do are going to be based around those kinds of things where there's a really good story as to why the spirits that we talk about in the episode are haunting the location that they're haunting. And so today's episode is the Velisca Axe Murder. Velisca Axe Murder. Yes. So there is a town in Iowa in the USA named Velisca. Um, it's a really small, friendly little town, like just a, a this, and we're going back to the early 1900s. So oh, wow. the night of this murder, it was June 10th, 1912. Historical. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Long time ago. But this particular murder is um, one of America's um, like top unsolved crimes to date. Wow. Because Eight people were murdered in the same house in the one night and it was never, the killer was never found. Holy smokes. Yeah. And so, and and the murder, the killing was particularly heinous, disgusting, which I'm going to go into. Right. Um, and so I'm going to give you a bit of a background about um, the spirits that haunt this location that are known um, and, you know, Dudes, let's just um, 
put a waiver warning right now that yeah. if, if any of that stuff is going to bother you, it might not be the show for you. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you Tracy's can't sleep hardcore. at night. <laughs> if you can't sleep at night, if you've got a fear of axe murderers, if there's any children listening, let's, like, make yep. it make it adults known only. that, yeah, this is definitely adults only, not appropriate for the drive to school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or even my own listening, but here yeah, I am. Potentially. <laughs> I brought some nappies. I got some pull-ups. Excellent. I'm sitting on your fancy seat, so. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> okay, so back on the night of June 10th, 1912, the Moore family, which was a family of six, so there was the dad, Josiah, who was known as JB, Sarah, uh, and their four children, Herman, who was 11, Mary, who was 10, Arthur was seven, and Paul was five. They had been uh, at their, so they were, it's like a Presbyterian town. And so they had been at their church's children's day kind of thing. It's a big festival thing that they had for the children. So the children did um, like a, a presentation at night and sung songs and, and had, Lots of fun. Real joyous occasion by yeah. the sounds. Yeah. And when it was time for it all to finish, it was about 9.30 at night. And the, for some reason, the streetlights weren't working that night. And there were two friends of the Moore's only daughter, um, Mary Catherine, who was 10. Two of her friends, Ina May Stillinger, and her, who was eight, and her sister, Lena Gertrude Stillinger, who was 12, they didn't want to walk home to their grandma's house on their own because the street lights were off. So JB rung um, the Ina and Lena's house and they spoke to their big sister, um, who I believe is Blanche. Uh, and Blanche said, that's fine. I'll let grandma know that the girls are staying at your house tonight and they can have a sleepover. And Blanche said, that's fine. It shouldn't be a problem. Little did Blanche know that she would never see her sisters again. Oh, that's awful. Uh, and it was something that she had to live with for the rest of her life, uh, knowing that that was one decision that may have changed the fate of her two little sisters. So it's believed that the Moors and the two Stillinger girls got home around 9.45 to 10 p.m. And after being tucked into bed, um, and the two friends slept downstairs in Mary Catherine's bedroom. And Mary Catherine, Catherine stepped upstairs with her three brothers in their room, which was in the room adjacent to their parents' bedroom. Very, very small house, two-storey, um, but very small house for so many people crammed in. Um, and when they all went to sleep... Um, Sometime between midnight and 5 a.m., it's believed, but closer probably towards the midnight mark, a man who has never been found, never been identified, Some, and we'll get to this a little bit later where some suspects come up and mm -hmm. you can tell me what you think about who you think probably did it. I think I've got my, my idea of who it was um, based off these suspects, but it's believed that the killer was hiding in the attic because later on detectives found cigarette butts up oh, in the wow. attic. So already there. He was already there. So they think that he was probably like lying waiting for everyone to get home, to get to sleep. Um, it was customary for the Moors to lock all their doors. Even in 1912. Even in 1912. Would have been which, unusual. Yeah, which was actually something that I heard a lot of people talk about because um, – 
the neighbour, Nancy, actually, dis- well, she was the one who alerted JB's brother. In the, the morning. In the morning oh, okay. at like 7.30 in the next morning wow. following the fact that it was 7.30 and she went out and to feed the chickens and, and do all the chores and stuff and she noticed that the house was all dark and locked up and none of the kids were out doing the chores and letting the chickens out and all the rest of it. Unusual. Very unusual. So she went over to sort of have a little bit of a sticky beak to see what was going on and she noticed that all of the um, all the curtains were drawn shut and the two windows that didn't have curtains had actually had clothes put up over the curtain to cover it so that you couldn't see in so she thought and she tried to open the door but the door was locked from the inside so she called JB's brother and he came over and he knocked and he called and no one answered and so he used his spare key to enter and upon entering um he looked to the right and the first be- the first bedroom that he saw after he sort of came in the front foyer uh, was Mary Catherine's room downstairs and he saw the two bodies of Ina and Lena, the sisters, the Stillinger sisters, lying, um, covered, their faces were covered, um, but he knew that they were dead. So he walked out and he told Nancy, the neighbour, to alert authorities. Um, by the time the only marshal in town who was a young 26-year-old policeman who had no experience whatsoever in anything like this on this sleepy Presbyterian, like mm-hmm. Presbyterian town, um, he came and by that time the brother had actually gone upstairs and discovered... Well, so um, he went back in. He went, he st- yeah, he went in and he discovered... Um, the bodies of his brother and his sister-in-law Sarah bludgeoned to death in their bed and then he found the um so when you walk up the stairs it's like the stairs are as soon as you come up the stairs you're in JB and Sarah's bedroom like it's like it's so small and then there's like a little kind of you go through their bedroom and there's like a little door to the right which is actually the it's like a secret compartment and when you open it up it's the door to the attic Oh, wow. But just beside that is the other door where the kids' bedroom is. So upstairs is literally just one big space broken into two with a little door in the middle that goes up to the attic. So he was able to find the four of his um, three three nephews and niece um, all, all bludgeoned to death as well. And so um, it's believed that Sometime between midnight and 5 a.m., the killer crept out of the of the attic and he has gone into JB and Sarah first. And now JB reportedly was six foot two and was a big hunk of a spunk of a man. And big fella. Yeah. Um, and um, very well known in the town. He owned his own business um, and they were very well respected. Uh, great family. And so it's believe that JB was the only one to suffer the um, the sharp end of the axe for the first time. So he took JB out with the sharp end of the axe and then he turned the axe around and used the blunt end of the axe to kill everybody else. Now, when they when they did investigations of this, they think that it was because they he needed to take him out. Um, Quick very quickly so that he wouldn't stop him from doing the rest of the things that he had planned. But also like, and I didn't think about this until like you hear about this, but 
They also believe that um, it must have been someone who was familiar with using an axe, whether it was to murder someone or not. But the, to know that uh, it, it's actually quite difficult if you actually like, it's just like chopping wood. So when you see someone chop wood, the axe gets stuck in the wood for a little while. When you chop someone in the head, um, which is where all of the all of the eight victims were only hit in the head, the rest oh, of their right. bodies, except for one, which I'll talk to you about later. But if, oh, you, I can't wait. if you hit someone in the head with the sharp end of an axe, it's going to get stuck in there and you're going to have to pull it out. And so this, this murderer was not about wasting time. He was about just being able to give like this big bludgeoning of a blunt force trauma essentially to the head. Um, and when he actually did it to Sarah after JB, there's, there's still to this day, um, uh, like markings in the wall of the ax going through the ceiling and through the higher end of the wall, because he's pulled the ax so far back, the sharp end, it's gotten stuck in the wall before he's brought it down and hit her on the head. Now, JB was hit over 30 times what and he was hit so bad that he was missing both of his eyeballs wow that's insane that's the other seven the other seven had blows over 20 each my god that all to their heads you know when you're talking about the sharp end and the blunt end and how Mm. someone must have known what they were using yeah there must have been an element that they enjoyed the process of doing it too for sure and there's also a mark in um in jb and sarah's room that's on like the other side of the room and it's sideways apparently and so it's like they reckon that the the killer might have been just like yielding the wax around as if like he was having fun and just kind of being kind of careless with it and and like it wasn't just get the job done that he might have actually just been just swinging the axe around kind of thing. And everyone was still in their beds, like there was no movement. So no. it sounds like it would have taken a long time to do and for no one to have woken up or tried to run away or anything. Well, what you're going to hear oh, a little okay. bit later right. um, will give you a bit of an idea. My mind is just in all kinds of agony right now. Yeah. It's hard. And Lena, the 12-year-old Stillinger sister, Yeah. She was the only one that had defensive wounds. Okay. Um, and the only one who had wounds below the head. So she had marks on her arms. And she was also so all of the eight, all of the seven of the eight were found lying in bed as if they were asleep when they were killed with clothes put over their head. So the murderer has covered the heads after he's finished. And moved them, maybe. Well, he hasn't moved them. Oh, he's okay. just covered their heads. So, yeah, okay. And the and Lena, the one that had the defensive wounds, she was actually found below her sheet. So we don't know whether or not she actually woke up to her sister, Ina, her eight-year-old sister being killed, and she tried to hide or she heard she woke up to the screens upstairs and tried to hide but she was below the sheet, so her face wasn't covered on the pillow. Her, she had squirmed down and she had her arms crossed with defensive wounds on her arms. So it's unsure at what point she woke and what she actually experienced before she died. Mm. It's also in, in a couple of reports as well, and I don't know, like, I think it's because it's it's so yucky to think about, but, um, and, and 
apparently, according to the coroner's report, there was no sexual um, mm. uh, evidence of yeah, assault. The, correct. Um, but Lena was not wearing any underwear. Right. So that was a bit odd. They they weren't sure. That was just an odd kind of fact, but there wasn't any evidence of of any sexual yeah. um, play. So um, then the other detail about what the killer did too was that in all of the bedrooms he's taken clothes or sheets or whatever he could to cover all the mirrors. Wow. Yeah, so all the mirrors were covered and all the photographs. So any photos and any mirrors and the and the murdered and the victims' heads were all covered. Weird. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And Ooh. so when you go there today and do a paranormal investigation, it's all exactly the same. They've covered all the mirrors, all the photos. And one investigation that I actually saw, they put mannequins in the bed. Why? Oh, it just I feels was like, so disrespectful. Oh, and they're like, we're trying to like really recreate. Um, it's and gross. oh, there, there's it's just That's there's implorable. Yeah, there's there's a lot that that paranormal investigators will do to antagonize or to have the best experience, which you got to be really careful for what you wish for, which you'll hear a little bit later too, because wow. In 2014, shit got real for one um, asshole of an investigator, let me tell you. Wow. So. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. Absolutely. And you you are foolish to think that you're actually going to get away with it, scot-free, because you'll ne- you never will. Even if you think that you have when you've left, it'll, it'll catch up with you, don't worry. Um, so after the killer had killed the eight of his victims, the asshole made his way into the kitchen, filled up a bowl of water, fixed himself a meal, washed himself off, and he left the bowl of bloody water just sitting there where he's cleaned himself. An uneaten meal sat still on the table. Uneaten? Yeah. So it's it's there's a theory that... And get this, this just gets disgusting. So there's a theory that he heard a noise upstairs. And so he's gone back upstairs and hit everyone again for round two with the sharp end. What? Yeah. So blunt end first, sharp end second. Then he's come downstairs and left and and wiped the axe off, like wiped it clean with the cloth that's in the bowl of water where he's cleaned himself too, left the axe leaning up against the dresser in the downstairs bedroom, which I'm going to start calling the blue room from okay. now on, um, which is Mary Catherine's room, which is where Lena yeah, and Ina were killed. Yeah. Um, but next to the axe on the floor was a piece, a slab of bacon wrapped in towel. What? Yeah. It's just so random. It's just really that he fucking random. When he made himself the meal. Potentially. Could have even been I don't even know it was raw. I don't know if it was cooked. There's so really weird. no kind of detail. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. Like a calling card. Yeah, maybe. Random whack. Which one. I think that if it was a calling card later on when we talk about the suspects. Okay. Um, oh, okay. 
I don't remember that reading about a calling card, but you would think that with one particular suspect that that might have been. But anyway, so. I thought this would be like fun and juicy and intriguing okay. and all I am is very sad and like very mortified. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the do you know about um, like why, like do you have, I know why, but and, and I guess um, to enlighten our listeners, um, do you know why or do you think you know why he would have covered all the photographs in the mirror and their faces? Oh, I'm just thinking it. He doesn't like seeing people, like he feels guilty or something. Mm. I don't know. So there's some, there's two trains of thought. Um, there's the psychological thought, yeah. which the psychologists will psychoanalyze this and yes. say that yeah. this is the sign of remorse yeah. or a sign of shame. Yeah. Um, and that For his own comfort, like he doesn't want to see it after he's done it. And well, he doesn't want to see the photos of the people. Well, he doesn't want anyone to see him and he doesn't want to see himself do it. Okay. So he doesn't want a thought to have been seen yeah. to commit murders, which yeah. is part of the reason why they think that he probably waited for them all to be asleep and yeah. killed them in their sleep and hit their heads only and, and, he, yeah, and J- JB's eyes came out. Yeah, I don't get the whole only head thing. Mm, it's quite it's quite interesting. Um, and then also the other, the other uh, side of the way that we could look at it would be the paranormal side. Okay. Oh, which yeah. is... It's believed that um, if you if you commit a murder, um, or or commit a crime or like something as heinous as murder, yes, but something quite um, something that you feel that you would be judged for, and and you do it in front of a mirror. It's believed that the underworld or the other worlds are able to see through mirrors so that they can see what you're doing so your soul almost Mm -hmm. can see what you're doing so it's like cover it so that um that the 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 other realms can't see me doing what I'm doing but also when you uh do something in front of a mirror that's bad and then if you look into that mirror you see yourself as bad like it's like the reflection that you get is supposed to be evil if you've done evil things my goodness Mm. because when you were talking about the it's the mirror can be a window into the other realms yeah I thought that was there anyway like it Mm. the the ability for scrying that viewability is Mm -hmm. there irrespective of the mirrors so a mirror wouldn't in my mind, change it one iota. Mm-hmm. But back in 1912, yeah. and if you're an axe murderer, yeah. I'm not sure you're all there. This is true. <laughs> all rational thought has exited the building well and truly. Mm-hmm. And he and, and he might not have had anything paranormal or spiritual attached to it. It might have seriously been or literally been a shame thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he didn't want eyes. He didn't want anyone seeing no. him. He didn't want to see himself. He didn't want photos even seeing him. Yeah. It's quite it's quite interesting. So, um it's messed up. If you were to go to um the house now, the actual murder weapon, the axe is there. Stop. And why investigators do, why do actually hold it and walk through. No, the and, axe. Yeah, the axe. And how you do, see them holding it. And they're like you can, sit there and wow. you're just like you, you've got a murder weapon in your hand. I'm surprised it's allowed. Mm. It's so disgusting. So um, there were many rumours 
amongst the tiny town and speculation that JB's once boss turned rival was behind the killing. So JB used to be the number one salesman for his boss, Frank Jones. And he went to Frank and he said, I'd really like a pay rise. I've earned it. You know, why can't I have it? And Frank said, you're not getting a pay rise. And um, JB said, I quit and what, left. Yeah, okay. And he went and created his own rival, same business, but his own company. What's and he did really well. Uh, I can't even remember. Wow. I don't remember. Okay. Mm, I don't remember. Um, and so the first motive that people established was that Frank Jones had done it or that he had hired. And Frank Jones was running for Senate or something like that. I don't know. But that he had hired a hitman to do it for him. Wow. Okay. Because it was particularly motivated against JB because of the brutality of JB's yeah. face and the axe and the eyes and... They felt that it felt like a, a retribution-type crime from, from Frank's own sort of belief system. So the hitman that um, that they believed that the Frank Jones had hired was William Mansfield. Now, he was later acquitted in 1916 after, providing, after proving to have a solid alibi. Um, and then... The next suspect was um, this visiting Reverend George Kelly, who everyone knew was a peeping Tom. Oh, right. Even though he was a reverend. Of course. Yeah. Especially because he was. Yeah. But he actually confessed in 1917 to the murder, saying that he was possessed by an evil force that instructed him to fulfill the murders. So everyone was just like, we've got the killer and he's the peeping Tom Reverend George Kelly. and Case it, closed. Case closed. But then he was acquitted after a psychiatric assessment deemed that he had just lost the plot and he, he needed to go into a psychiatric ward, which he was late. He later left and he moved apparently to Texas or something and just slid into the unknown and, and he was gone. Oh. I know, really weird. But he still could have done it. He still could have, but suspect number three... Behind the door of suspect number three. Oh, my goodness. Some people have the theory that this was the work of serial killer Henry Lee Moore. And I don't know if you have heard that name before, but I have known that name for a really long time. So he's a very famous or infamous axe murderer. And he was eventually arrested, which I think it was like six months after the these the Moore killings. He was eventually arrested. No relation. No, no relation. Um, he was arrested for killing his mum and his sister or his aunt. Um, but he was arrested that night and sent to jail. And they will then from him, he actually got, um, 22 murder convictions. He killed 22 people. He killed many, uh, belonging to his family, which all had the last name Moore. Right. So that was really freaking coincidental. Yeah, that these people have the same last name, but they were no relation. Yeah. But they figured that, number one, he'd been to jail a few times, and so he knew his fingerprints were on file. And we're going back to 1912, so fingerprinting wasn't a really big thing back then, but it had just started. Okay. And so he knew enough to wipe his prints clean, and apparently they think that he wore um, gloves or held cloths as he was holding the axe. Right. So he... He knew to wipe things off. He um, also, um, 
he also had understanding of how to use an axe because all of the murders that he was convicted of were all axe murders. He killed them all with axes and all to the head. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the MO, yeah, identical, basically. Yeah. Um, and he also, in his other murders, apparently covered the mirrors. It sounds like your guy. So why is it not him? He sounds never... like your guy. So it was never formally pinned on him because they had him in jail and he he admitted to 22 murders. He wouldn't admit to those ones for oh, some right. reason. I don't know whether it, I think I remember reading, um, but I didn't write it down. I think I remember reading something about how he had never killed children. Okay. And there was something about him not wanting to potentially the reason why he didn't admit to these murders was because it would have put him as a child killer not as just a killer yeah and like we like we've heard before i'm sure like i mean i certainly have in true crime when it comes down to killers and how you know they've got these really strange they still have standards yeah and strange morals about like no you don't kill kids yeah or you don't rape people yeah or whatever it's just like but you're a fucking killer like cold-blooded killer and a drug like a drug cartel ringleader yeah. and yeah. and you you run drugs and weapons but you won't don't kill a kid yeah like <laughs> where yeah. do your morals and your principles lie it's interesting isn't it very interesting but it's very common very common so he didn't confess did you never say? confessed he might have even had an alibi like maybe they... uh no alibi oh, they okay. just they really just talk so about the, the area yeah and so he, he stayed in prison for the rest of his life and died there. Mm. And they never were able to get a confession out of him. So wow. it basically was just never. Yep. Um, and so now more than 100 years later and more than 13 owners later. Oh, how is that place still standing? Well, this home still holds the spirits of the lost Moor and Stillager children, Josiah and Sarah and what is believed to be the killer. Or is it just evil entities that have been conjured and invited in from the countless people who go there with Ouija boards and satanic rituals performed and voodoo. Someone just needs to burn it down. Well, what ended up happening was, um, I'll tell you a little bit more about the history. So seasoned paranormal investigators, as well as your average ghost hunter enthusiasts, regularly take daylight tours and some dare to step up set up camp for the night in the house that has no lights so it's pitch black at night with only the odd kerosene lantern to light the way if needed in 1930 though the Ritners, a young just married couple moved into the house without knowing of its dark and sinister history very quickly they began to experience strange happenings like waking to the drawers of their dresser being open and their clothes just strewn all over the bedroom Objects being thrown across the room and doors opening and closing right in front of their eyes, seemingly on their own. A conversation with a local filled them in on the happenings and they refused to sleep in the house again, making a bedroom in the barn instead until they finally left. Between 1936 and 1994, the house had been extensively renovated with the front and back porches being enclosed, a new bathroom, which apparently was where the old kitchen pantry was, vinyl flooring was put in, Um, the house had been given plumbing and electrical, internal plumbing electrical, which it had never had back in 1912. But in 1963, the house was purchased by the local bank and it was rented out to many a scared-off family with reports of hearing children's voices 
cold spots and objects moving by themselves. A couple of owners later, the house was in disrepair and as with many historical homes was in danger of being bulldozed. In 1994, the Lynn family came to its rescue, purchasing the home for a steal. I can't imagine why. Mm. Um, Having owned other historical properties, they set up about to restore the house to its original glory. Or maybe gory. Gory. Boom, boom, Mm, Funny, not funny. (laughs) uh, So they removed all the mod cons with the plumbing electricity gone. So if you go there now, there is no lights, no electricity, no plumbing. Um, they restored the, they ripped up the vinyl and they restored the wooden floors. Uh, they opened up the front porch and the rear porch, gave it all a nice big new coat of paint, um, and made it really schmicko. And it ended up actually winning, uh, the best, uh, the preservation at its best award. So that's how amazing it is. And I'm going to post lots of photos of it and show you before and during and after. Um, but Mrs. Lynn apparently used the transcripts from the trials uh, and from the crime scene investigation to obtain information about the original layout, the features and the furnishings, aiming to right the wrongs of the previous owners with the hopes to appease those who have never left the empty home. And, you know... So she was doing it with the intention of trying to ease those spirits. Yeah, she was... Oh, okay. So she was trying to bring it back to... To what it was. So Something that, they would recognise. Yeah. To be safe for them, to be their home and to let them rest. and wow, okay. To stop having, like, you know, people coming through and, and being fucktards. So, but we all know that renovations can stir up spirits. And so during the renovations up until then, I would imagine would, would have a lot to do with the reason why it was such an active home then. Um, but then... Even if um, her intention was to restore it to its glory, it still will stir shit up. Yeah. Uh, and so what's known to be the blue room, the room where the murder weapon was found at the door and the room where frightened Lena had crawled under the bedsheet to hide before meeting the same fate as her sister, is reported to be the most active. It's the room that the killer seems to lurk in, preying on those who choose to be alone in there. People have left with scratches on their skin and there's actually, um, I don't know whether it's in the barn or whether it is at the back door, but there's a cork board that is there that people who come and investigate or stay there, um, they've left photos on the cork board or things that are like proof that, that they've had a paranormal experience or encounter with a spirit on the cork board. And there's a photo, which I'll find and I'll put up as well, a photo of this guy who um, he's got his his top off and it's a picture of his back and there's just this massive like hand claw scratch going down his back it's awful yikes yep um there's uh things go clunk in the night and they fall from the dresser so the dresser in that blue room um a lot of the investigations like most of the ones that i watched had the exact same thing happen and some of them got it at different angles some of them got it at it had different responses it was so funny how like and, and each one of them had been obviously completely unaware that it had happened to someone else, but it was it's this picture with all these names on it that just sits on the dresser against the wall and it's like in a photo frame. Yeah. And so it's just sitting there. There's no way it can fall off. It's leaning against a wall on a dresser, but it falls sideways off the dresser and lands in the middle of the room. It's like how that happens, I do not know. And so the force of it is obviously... 
Um, if you were a spirit, you would you wouldn't be hitting it. You would be you would be picking it up and throwing it, and yeah. so it would come off sideways and then be thrown across the room. Gosh. So the mirror remains covered with a cloth. But for the reckless and ignorant who choose to remove it and look into the mirror, the killer can make you feel like you're going crazy. And people begin to act strangely and say out-of-character things. Um, I watched a few episodes where some assholes would go in and do that. Oh, uh, gosh. And it's just, it's just freaky. Like, they start just – you can see their eyes change and they just start being stupid. Like, they just start saying silly things and just being stupid. Like, it's – it's so not that they do you get... think they're pretending or do you think this oh, is actually no, no, no. happening? Yeah, you see it happening. It's happening. It's, yeah, it's very much happening. Wow. But in 2014, a, a mid-50s-year-old man who should know better, uh, named Robert, came to the house with his parents. And with his parents? Yes. A 50-year-old with his parents uh-huh. on a spooky paranormal... Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what the, um, the groundskeeper thought. He right. was just like... Okay, this is a bit Yes, maybe this is their thing. Not going to judge. But apparently Robert turned around and said to the the groundskeeper or the homekeeper that he was going to tell the spirit, the tell the killer what for tonight. And he was going to, he was going to give him some, give him some beef. And so he was like, the groundskeeper walked away and just thought, yeah, whatever. Like you're an idiot, mate, kind of thing. And then he went to bed and woke up in the morning and he had all of these alerts on his phone about a stabbing at the Velisca Axe Murder House. And so he's like, what's going on? So he went down to the house and it turns out that Robert was sitting in the blue room and while staring into the mirror antagonizing who is believed to be the killer or the evil entities that occupy the house, um, pulled out his hunting knife that he had taken with him and stabbed himself in the heart. Oh, himself. Himself. I thought you were about to say he stabbed his parents. No, he stabbed <gasps> himself. Oh, my goodness. He survived um, and later said to many people, but to the groundskeeper specifically who recounted this, he said that he remembers sitting down and he remembers, like, giving the killer some shit uh, and then he woke up in hospital and he doesn't remember anything else. And the groundskeeper asked him why he had a hunting knife on him. Yeah. He said, well, usually I bring a gun, but I wasn't sure of the laws in Iowa, so I left my gun at home and I bought my hunting knife instead. To do what? Who the fuck knows? Jab the air. Who knows? I, I have no idea. It's aye, America. Aye, aye. Anyway, so, um, yeah, you, you just don't want to mess with, with shit like Anything. that. And, like, and you know what? Like, who do you think you are to think that you're any different to anybody else going in that house who respects these you know, whether it's bullshit or not, just calm your farm, get off your high horse and just respect the law, you know, like just good. Oh, it makes me so cranky. Anyway. <laughs> so. Ah, uh, true though. Yeah. Um, in the room upstairs where the more children never woke up from reports of children crying in the night and strange light anomalies are common and two particularly frightening and disturbing EVPs, so electric voice phenomena, were recorded by APRA, which is the American Paranormal Research Association. Now, these guys, these are typical ghost hunters, but they've got the science mind about them. So they actually formed the American Paranormal Research Association. They actually formed 
with the intention to do investigations to help the scientific um, minds and um, people um, understand and and start to study and believe what is actually going on. So they are all about the real evidence. Yeah, They're trying at- to quantify and measure what Correct. they can record. Yeah, so they actually are a team that is made up of um, people who are um, like audio and sound engineers who know how to pull apart sound, know what's causing it, know where it's coming from. They've, they've, the team is not like just full of ghost hunters and psychics yeah. and things like that. It's full of people who have got a science mind and they're looking to debunk and disprove, not to actually prove, right. but it's the stuff that they find that they can't prove that they then study with science and they're hoping to bring something that was me. I accidentally scratched the microphone. Oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it only went in one ear. I'm like, that is really odd. <laughs> um, I'm so jumpy right now. <laughs> well, hold on oh. because I'm going to play you. So this is one of their recordings, the people that you've just described, that APRA, which yeah. is funny that they're called APRA because that's the name of our nursing body or allied health professional governing body here in Australia. Oh, really? That's who I register <coughs> with, but it's a different kind of governing body over there okay so i'm not going to play you one i'm going to play you a couple okay um but let let's just go ready i'm as ready as i will ever be <laughs> my tummy just came out of my butt <laughs> okay don't forget to position it the most disturbing audio data collected by APRA at the Velisca Axe Murder House was the sounds of a young girl screaming. You will now hear that data in this clip. just such a scared little child screaming and they think that that might have been lena oh downstairs yep oh so what makes them think that like how can you even surmise uh recorded in the blue room oh okay and because she was the only one with defensive wounds yep. and the only one that appeared to have been awake <clears throat> prior to being murdered right um which is just like it makes me feel sick. Like it's it's awful. But I mean, they're all really, really, really messed up. But this next one, just a warning. It's um, it's worse. Lot. Yeah, I, I I personally think so. Yep. Um, 
so in this recording they will play it and then they um they make the background noise a bit quieter so that they can isolate the voice so you'll okay. hear it twice okay Taking you back to the Velisca Axe Murder House, this startling EVP was recorded by a control device in the early morning hours of the investigation. This device sat alone, collecting the disembodied voices of children. No investigators were present at the time of recording. That's a young boy saying no, and then you hear some laughter, and then you hear the same young boy saying, please don't, what are you doing to me? Oh, okay. Because I heard no and um, please help me. Please don't, what are you doing to me? Wow. And the laughter. I've got chills. So awful. The last audio... Oh, there's more. The last audio um, they believe is JB, which um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how the boy's voice, because Paul Vernon, who was five, was asleep in his crib and they think that it was Paul and that he has woken up and been the first child that was killed but not given any defensive wounds but the killer might have settled him down and that's why he said no because maybe he's answering the killer who's saying go back to sleep and then the killer might be trying to get him to lay down and he's saying what are you doing to me Um, and then potentially killed him. But this one um, is who they believe to be JB and or the killer. Um which if it was JB, I'm wondering if this was actually what prompted the killer to go back upstairs and deliver round two. Listen. The EVP at number seven on our list is one of the more disturbing pieces of data collected by APRA. The EVP was collected in Villisca, Iowa at the Villisca Axe Murder House, the former home of JB Moore and his family. It was here that he, his wife his four children, and two guests of his eldest daughter, Catherine, were tragically slain in their sleep. The murderer was never found. The EVP collected was that of a man screaming. Due to the pain evident in this scream, many speculate it is the scream of J.B. Moore himself. pretty messed up Mm. it's pretty messed up and it's actual EVP so I know that you've just explained what EVP is Mm -hmm. so um, can I ask a silly question in saying even if you were there standing there Mm -hmm. and you're recording sounds you might not necessarily hear them but they will record correct yep and they 
prefaced those recordings by saying no one was there. They mm-hmm. had just left the recorders there and come back later. Mm-hmm. So there was no one else there. No. So this is happening yep. with no one in the house. Yeah. Um, and so EVPs are able to pick up all different frequencies. So the human ear might not be able to hear the frequency that the spirit is speaking on, but the um, the recorders are able to pick up that frequency and capture it. So um, that sounded that EVP sounded like it was off the back of a spirit box or something as well, which was that big sound that you heard behind the audio. Yeah. Um, so a spirit box is another piece of equipment, which we're going to do an episode on like paranormal investigation and equipment. Yeah. Uh, just so that our listeners can be familiar with some of the things that I'm probably going to be talking about a fair bit and you'll eventually start talking about as you get more. Yeah, familiar more with familiar. it. It's for me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and so uh, like I said, APRA, like they've released that audio and there is their website or um, it's called, I don't know if it's their website, but on that audio is from the occultmuseum.com. So if anyone wanted to check that out, you can go and you can listen to it over and over and over again and, and read sort of more information about um, about APRA and, and how that audio was captured. Um, but just a couple of really cool paranormal investigation-y little details um, and things that have happened in the house. So in JB and Sarah's room, I watched um, these really funny guys do an investigation there. One of them was a bit of a dick because he liked to... Well, he didn't in this house antagonize, but in some of the other investigations that I've seen him do, he can he can be a bit of a tool. So one of the guys, though, um, used dowsing rods. So for those who don't know what a dowsing rod is, it's like really thin metal rods that are sort of, sort of shaped like an L with a short little um, bottom bit and a long, uh, longer, taller bit, like a capital L. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hold the short bit in your hand and the long bit uh, goes out towards across from you that was a really so it can like swing around (laughs) sorry yeah so you hold the you hold it was your pillow that just rolled off the back of your chair (laughs) so you hold both of your hands out and you've got the short end of the l in your hand and the long end faces away from you protruding out yep and you hold the the dowsing rods now. Dowsing rods are work, so you've got one in each hand. One in each hand, yeah. Okay. And the idea of these originates from finding water. So they used yes. to use these to douse for water. Yeah. So the magnetic field of the water was able to cause the rods to um, move in direction of water, and then when it became on top of water, they would cross over and basically be X marks the spot. So. Dowsing rods can be used um, by spirit. So spirit can manipulate dowsing rods quite easily because they manipulate magnetic fields. So in this investigation that I was watching, the man was sitting in JB and Sarah's room and he was sitting between the dresser and the bed um, on the floor and he's holding the dowsing rods and he's asking questions of whoever's in the room, but he was getting like 100% accuracy intelligent responses so he was asking a question and and both rods have to move in in the direction to give the answer um the first question was something like um where were sarah and jb murdered and the rods just move straight away towards the bed they both just straight towards the bed 
And then he said, where um, where were the children murdered? And both rods just go whoop, straight towards the bedroom next door. And he starts asking all these other questions and the rods were just answering. And then in one question, I think he said um, um, something about the killer and it was kind of like, do you know who killed you or something? Or did you know your killer? And the the rods crossed over as if like, no, like no, no deal, no answer. We don't have an answer. So it was crazy. But like it, when we get intelligent answers as paranormal investigators, it's especially with that much accuracy because they knew all the answers. And so they were only, apart from the question where they got the cross about the killer, they knew all the answers to the questions that they were asking and so the spirit was giving them the correct answers back. <coughs> Excuse me. What would have been a a yes? What would have been um, interpreted <coughs> as Sorry. a yes? Uh, so you don't ask dousing rods yes and no questions. But did you know your killer? Do you know the identity of your killer? And, and then they crossed they over. Cross. So that was a no. So, yeah, but it's but like what yeah, if we they don't were an answering answer. yes? What if they were saying yes? I did know the killer. What would how would the dousing rods would have looked? Do you no know? idea. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't know. Ugh, I just I feel know. so gross. Yeah, but it was really cool to be able to see that the spirits in there are very intelligent because we have all different types of hauntings. So we've got intelligent hauntings, which is where you can ask the spirit questions. They can play with your equipment. Um, they can react and respond to you. Um, and in real time, and then you've got residual hauntings, which we're going to, one of the cases that I'm going to cover fairly soon, um, has a lot of residual hauntings and that's basically hauntings that are on loop. So it's like, it's set in a time and the time is stuck in the, the yeah. field of time is stuck in that or on that land or in that space. And so you might just hear the same sound of, someone going through the motion. So I lived in a house that had a residual haunting. Um, and so at like, tw- well, like 20 past three every morning for about 15 minutes, it sounded like people were moving in or out. It was just furniture moving everywhere. And m- my husband heard it. My sister heard it. Everyone heard it. It wasn't just me, but it was like, it just sounds like someone's moving in and someone's moving out. So bizarre. Of the actual house. Of the, of, well, of the space above that, like, so the roof, the roof wow. cavity. It's weird. Yeah, very weird. Can I ask a quick question mm. about the EVPs that you played and you were just saying it's like sounds on loop because mm-hmm. those EVPs sounded like the sounds that would have been happening on that horrendous night Yes. rather than the spirits coming back and conversing and trying to portray messages. It's a... Residual. Ooh, the screams okay. were residual yeah. and that little boy's voice, residual. Yeah, okay. All residual. Yeah rather than them coming back to tell you more information or saying other yeah. things. So they're not intelligent at that point. Yeah. They can be intelligent, Yeah. but that sound is captured and it's residual. Yeah. Okay. So it's usually sound Yeah. that's residual. I'm it's... freaking myself out just sitting here. <laughs> so um, and just to think like that um, if you – and you're going to see um, – I've already posted a picture of the house on Instagram um, before the episode, but I'm going to put up a, a new picture um, of what it looks like if you were to go there today. And aside from knowing this story to look at that house, you would have no idea that um, it holds the spirits of at least eight people. If it has the killer or some other 
unknown energies that are of the evil demonic side who knows it's debatable um but kindred spirit uh, another show uh that that has it's kind of like a spin-off of some famous american ghost hunter shows um where a couple of the investigators have left the major show and they've created their own and it's a a man and a woman and um, they go around, they get, they get requests from people to come and, and investigate their house for them. And they just want to bring closure and comfort to people. And so they actually, um, have a friend, uh, named John Worley, who was a, uh, also an investigator who contacted them and was petrified. And he was like, basically he, they had never seen him like this before. It was something that had, was really bothering him. So, he had been to the uh, Velisca Axe Murder House and they'd caught on EVP, um, kill John Worley. What? Yeah. And after that, he and he didn't think anything of it. He's just like, really? okay. Well, he's a season, he's an older man, seasoned paranormal yeah. investigator. Okay. You get stuff like that. And it's very common really? for, for, for spirits to name you. Wow. Very common. Um. So he wasn't too concerned about it until the three-month period after he left Velisca House and he got that EVP kill John Worley. I don't know whether I actually read or heard how many people it was, but a certain amount of people, relatives of his and a certain amount of friends, all got very ill really quickly and died. And he was convinced he'd been cursed. So he wouldn't go back to the house. So he rung his two friends from Kindred Spirits and he's just like, you need to you need to do this for me. Like, you, I only trust you two. I, I need to sort this out. I'm going crazy. I think I'm cursed. Like, it's finally all caught up to me, basically. And so they went in there and they took um, – they've got a, a psychic medium. Mm. They've got a few, but they had this one who came in um, and they, they did an investigation and then they got the medium in um, and the medium – pulled through a lot of the relatives that were that were killed and the friends that were killed and they basically said that it wasn't your fault it's got nothing to do with the curse don't let it don't let the killer get to you don't believe it you know that if you believe it it will become you and all the rest of it and it was beautiful to see how um how they they kept that that real truth behind the story like this was a seasoned paranormal or is a seasoned paranormal investigator who yep. finally was just like I'm done like it's, yeah yep. it's finally got the better of me Whoa. um and um they weren't able to capture anything that would that would have suggested that John was cursed and he felt fine in the house and if he was if there was something that was against John then they would have, it would have been pretty obvious when he went in there because he probably would have been scratched or yeah, had some he would, been, he would have felt sick or yeah. something um so over the years you know like the the groundskeeper there he um he brings people in and then leaves them for the day and he comes back at the end of the day and tidies up and locks up. He'll never stay there. He just won't stay there anymore after too many freaky things that have happened. Um, but it's very common for him to find, um, you know, like Ouija boards set up and satanic ritual and the likes of voodoo work set up and it's almost like the people have gotten answers that they didn't want and they've got up and just left and their Ouija boards and everything is still in place and he's just like, then I have to freaking pick up that shit and get rid of it. He's just like, I don't want to touch that stuff. Oh, wow. Um, 
But yeah, and the fact that the murder weapon is still in the house just blows my head off. Yeah. Blows my head off. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty up there. That's a lot. A lot. And a heavy. Lot. Mm-hmm. And so all the oh. victims are buried in the cemetery, which is just across the road and down the street a little bit, um, which I could imagine would just be would just be awful. This little town back mm-hmm. in 1912 when this happened mm-hmm. must have really been so affected. Mm. Did you come across any stories from neighbours, like that neighbour that alerted them and all of that? Like I can't imagine that there was... That would have been so hard to sort of move on from. Well, it was, but um, most of them really just talk about the gossip around the town and how, like, you just never knew who was the killer. And and there were so many people that were local townspeople that had, um, you know, had been tarred and feathered and, and people, certain people were convinced that, that they were the killer. And so it destroyed a lot of, a lot of friendships, a lot of... Yeah. Um, a lot of groups, that a lot whole of whole community. Yeah, pretty much because they just didn't feel safe and it changed everything. It changed it the people who didn't lock their doors at night um, to lock their doors. It, it changed the way that people, when they woke up in the morning, how they let their neighbors know that they were okay. And um, it, it made, sh- they made sure that the streetlights stayed on and that, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it was just, uh, it changed their town in ways that um, that changed the forever in terms of the trajectory of the way that that town grew. Yeah. Um, they weren't as friendly and they weren't as trusting and they didn't, you didn't pretend to know your neighbour anymore. Um, but for a lot of the ones, a lot of the, because they're all mostly all dead now, um, the people that lived there. Yeah. Because it's like 110 would, years later. Yeah. Um, the, the videos are from a long time ago that I've seen, like probably in the 70s and 80s, um, and the, the people are old then, um, and they just they just cry. You know, these are old people that are remembering when they were little and their little friends were murdered. Yeah. Yeah, they, it would be a ton of trauma that, you know, back in 1912, like how would you deal with trauma back then? Goodness me, you can't even deal with trauma now correctly, let alone back then. Yeah, absolutely. And the two girls from the other family, like their parents and the sister that... Blanche. Yeah. Yeah. You'd just be, you'd, you'd be haunted. Yeah. For the rest of your life. And even the fact that the lights weren't working that night. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's all pretty... It's all just sad. And to know that the killer's not found, you know, that can have a lot to do with um, whether souls rest or not. Like as a medium, I've spoken to countless, I couldn't tell you how many um, people in the spirit realm who um, let me know that that justice hasn't been served for their death. Yeah. or that the wrong person, or and just and it potentially that the wrong person has um, suffered, has been identified correct incorrectly. Yeah, um, and and it's usually uh, validated by the person that I'm reading for, yeah. and they'll say, yeah, correct, like it was a hit and run. 
or, yeah. uh-huh. um, you know, they know who did it but they haven't been able to find them or whatever. Or, or prove it. Yeah. yeah. Or they know that it was a particular gang or whatever but they can't pinpoint it on one person. And yeah. All of those. Yeah. And insofar as... Um, wondering if the killer is there and one of the spirits that haunt that place. The killer didn't die that night but chose to come back there after their passing Yeah, for shits and gigs or...? Well, they could be called in. Okay. So for people who go and investigate, they can invite the killer in. Oh, just makes me feel so sick. Like mm. why do that? Why? What possesses people to go and do that? Some people are just ignorant and naive to what they're doing. Um, some people are just fucktards and think it's funny. Um, and some people genuinely want to go and have an experience that is next level. Um, I know that if I was to go there, um, oh, my tummy just went funny. I know that if I was to go there that, oh, look, let's face it, I wouldn't. No. I, I, I can't, like, I can't do kids. Mm-mm. I can't. If it was, if there was no kids, absolutely. Really? Yeah. It doesn't bother me at all. But kids, I just, I can't. It makes me feel sick. Absolutely not. But I was just wondering about what the point is. Like when I went on that investigation mm-hmm. with you, that was to find answers to the people who wanted to know if they had upset anybody. But it sounds like people going to this house, it's just like, you know what happened. You know the history there. So I just think, why? Why do it? And why set the whole house up with the murder weapon still there? I just think, what? It's pretty tasteless. It is. Like these days, I know in Australia there's laws against selling a house without disclosing whether or not there has been untoward activities there. I think it's um, a time frame. Yeah, okay. Within a certain amount of time. Yeah, there could be a time attached to it. I just think, why, what, what kind of morbid um, industry yeah. is that? Yeah, I think there's a natural curiosity yes. for humans yep. to, you know, like I'm curious. And there's like you were talking about, you've watched loads of YouTube videos of people doing it and walking around the place, so. Clearly there's lots of people intrigued. It just sends my mind racing as to why the fuck? Mm. What are you doing? Well, I would, if there was no kids there, yeah. um, I would go and I would want to speak to JB and Sarah. Yeah. And yeah, I'd what just, would you do? Well, I'd want to know how um, I could help them. Yeah. You know, what could I do to help you? Uh, but I can't imagine I'd be the only medium who has ever done that at that yeah. place. But that's why you would go. That yeah, is, for sure. That's the reason why uh-huh. you would do something like and that. And I wouldn't be trying to contact no, the killer or the negative through. energies that are there. Like yeah. I, I just, it wouldn't be my, my would intention. Would you ignore them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. block it. Yeah. And, and I can do that as you a medium. I do it all the freaking time. Can't yeah. block. Yeah. Pew, pew. Yeah. Love mm-hmm. that. Um, but it would just be how can I help you? Yeah. Um, what can I do? Is there anything that you can share that uh, would help us understand what's happened? Yeah. Um, it would be the usual questions that any responsible and medium with integrity would probably ask. 
Um, because anything other than that, it's, um, it's almost just exploitation essentially and disrespect of someone's death and life and, um, the horrific nature of the death. It's just like, Jesus Christ, leave these people alone. Yeah. Um, agreed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm I'm really thankful that I got to I got to meet this story, um, and learn all about it and and kind of understand um, just understand the happenings of such a strange a strange night the bacon yeah um, that's random the mirror covered the like it just it's all very clearly a sick sick fuck. Of a person has done it. And what's your feeling on the who did it? Because it's unsolved. I think it was the axe murderer. You think? You know? I You've think. been told? I don't know. Nah. It's just your thoughts. Because uh-huh. I know that you sort of switch off everything when you look at this stuff because you don't want to invite it all in. So that's why I was just questioning that. Yeah, no. What and about you? Yeah, maybe. I'm not convinced, to be honest, because... What did he gain by not... Um, not being a child murderer. Not confessing to it. Yeah, true. But Which he was already really locked deal. away. For, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I don't know. The way you get treated in jail. Yeah, okay, yeah. That makes sense. Just the whole thing's gross. What I got out of doing this um, whole new podcast is shining a light on paranormal investigations. <laughs> I thought you just said shiting as in shiting, you wanted to say shiting, shiting you shiting. It is okay. Like if you're scared, it and is normal yourself. if you poop a bit. It is just normal just and I'd bit. like to. People poop. I'd like to. Just little pebs. Just little smearing. Not even. I don't know why I talk about poo. Um but I didn't. Okay, stop. You're stop. <laughs> okay. You're digging yourself a hole. <laughs> Raise awareness. It's normal to poo a bit when you're scared. Oh, no. my gosh. I <laughs> poo. I had to get it out. <laughs> no, raising awareness of all these different investigations and how they're not all the same and the people doing them are doing them for completely different reasons. Yeah, 100%. And um, the EVPs that you played... Um, how um, they were recorded by, you know, an, an institution that, that is trying to find some scientific backing and trying to marry that up and explain things away more than anything. But some things you just cannot measure or explain with our current, you know, current knowledge of where we're at. So that's thought-provoking yeah. as well. For sure. And that's like... Um... For for many, um, oh, well, no, that's bullshit, actually. I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> You're about to bullshit yourself. Well, I, was, well, I wasn't about to bullshit myself, but I was I was probably just being a little bit too, um, which is unlike me, but I was probably just being a little bit too rose-coloured glasses just then. But oh, right. I was just going to say that a lot, of, uh, a lot of people coming into the paranormal investigation scene and a lot of psychic mediums, um, are more about the the proving and the science side of things these days, but I can't say that that's the case because there's an equal amount of shitheads out there that are in it for shits and giggles, 
So that's what I was like, no, I can't even say that. Yeah, I got you. Because they don't even take it as serious as what it really merits. Yeah. Because they're like, they're probably like, I don't believe in this shit anyway. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Fuck them all. And what I probably should say is just that more and more people are emerging who are interested in being able to understand it. Like, and, you know, there is that saying, or not the saying, but the that um, from when we did um, the past life, not past life, um, near-death experiences Yeah. where um, the doctor was saying how it's like we can take this to science but really we're at the point where we say to science what is this and prove that it is not. Yeah. It's like, okay, we can't, we we can disprove a whole heap of things. Yeah. But what we have is this EVP, for example. Yeah. Can you tell me how this happened? Yes. Tell me how it's happened because until you can, it's paranormal. Yeah. And therefore paranormal exists. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a process of, of elimination almost that makes it so. Absolutely. There's just so much in that area now. Yeah. It can't all be explained away. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. you did your research. <laughs> Case closed now for you. Yes. Are you ready to let it go? Let it go. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a yes. I am and I'm moving on to the next. Oh, dear God. I don't know how you can do it. Well. I don't know how I'm going to do it. (laughs) The next topic that I'm going to cover and just so our listeners know, Laura and I are going to take turns. Yep. Uh, and we're not going to we're going to know the case or the topic that yep. each other is doing but we're not going to know the ins and outs of it we're not going to hear it until look into it until we record yep, yep. which is we, so then we can get the real time responses from each other and yep. um and i think that that happens best because when we talk about things behind the scenes, all the funny stuff happens and all the real raw stuff happens. And it's, it's like, yeah. oh, we've got to capture that. That's good stuff. But I'm up against a psychic medium who will probably know half the stuff that I'm bringing. So <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Thanks for tuning in and we'll check you next time. Bye scaredy cats. Got a spooky story you'd like us to share or a haunted location you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at turnsout underscore it's haunted. We'd appreciate a follow, a share, a rating, a review, whatever floats your boat.
Till next time, sleep well, my scaredy cats.